previously on the Sports Refuge podcast. Relationships are like a good way to find out how people can let you down with expectations you didn't know you had. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Refuge Podcast, the show where guests discuss their connection to sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. Every professional team has a definitive look and color scheme that are synonymous with a particular player or period of time. While not all of them make the annals of throwback-worthy jerseys, there are ones that are timeless. In this episode, self-professed jersey collector Ben Penserga returns as we discuss some of our favorite jerseys, the cyclical nature of uniforms, and some of the crazier designs and logos out there. Right now, let's get to my interview with Ben Penserga. Ben, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm always happy to talk to you, Earl, and especially things like uniforms and just kind of the nerdery that is associated with it sometimes. When I think of jerseys, I know it's always great to talk about the glory days of the 70s and 80s when it's really, really colorful, especially when TV's really hitting the forefront. I know that, of course, the first season of color television officially by all the networks mm-hmm. was 1966, and I think everybody yeah. started taking advantage of that with the funky colors. But mm-hmm. one of the things I really noticed, you know, everybody has a favorite jersey design if you're a sports fan, and even if it's soccer or baseball or basketball or football, there's just a certain particular color scheme and design that when you think of that team that pretty much is a good identifier for that team yeah i think nostalgia plays a really big part especially now i feel like we're in the heyday of nostalgia really and it's really struck me i think lately because i'm just getting older and to the point where uniforms and things that i grew up when they were new they're being retro now and uh the throwbacks out I've really gotten back into the NBA because of the restart and everything like that. And really, my interest got uh, kind of rekindled with The Last Dance and, you know, watching all the old footage of Michael Jordan and all those NBA 90s uh, teams because, you know, that's the kind of era I grew up watching and everything like that. And simultaneously, I get a kick out of seeing, um, you know, like the Raptors and uh, the Grizzlies and the Utah Jazz playing in their, their 90s throwbacks. I mean, he, I think over the weekend, I think the Raptors and uh, Memphis uh, matched up. And, you know, the Raptors were wearing the, you know, the Jurassic Park dinosaur pinstripes from Marcus, you know, the Marcus Camby, Damon Stoudemire era. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Grizzlies, the teal one, um, that's, you know, Mike Bibby, uh, Big Country Reeves, Sharif Abdul-Rahim. And it's funny, you know, I didn't really like those uniforms when I was a kid, but now I'm kind of into them. And I think part of it is just the nostalgia. I mean, that's the thing that sucks. It's uh, I, you know, I keep going on the NBA store because I kind of want a Ja Morant, Memphis Grizzlies throwback jersey, but they don't sell them. They're not available right now. Same thing with, uh, you know, maybe trying to pick up a, a Raptors jersey or something like that or you know, even it's way before my era, but, uh, you know, Vince Carter, the, the the photos and last kind of footage I keep seeing of Vince Carter uh, pre-retirement, he was playing in a Hawks throwback, I think in the, like the Lou Hudson. So this is like the 1960s or late 50s era. So it's like powder blue and red colors that they just don't do anymore. And uh, it's nowhere to be found. So, yeah. And I think there's a lot of designs and color schemes I really think that 
are synonymous with particular teams. And then you see teams go to a different color scheme and not see as big of a reaction. And then Mm -hmm. they eventually go back to the original color scheme and some variation. I mean, there's plenty of examples. You can look at the Wizards. That's one Mm -hmm. example. The Brewers. That's a prime example. There's so many more that I can't think of off the top of my head. I think the biggest one right now, they were really clamoring for it for a long time when they finally did it was the Padres, you know, going back to the Brown. I mean, they've really wanted that for a while, and it's pretty distinctive. I mean, there's not many other – I mean, besides, I guess, the the Browns, uh, there's not many teams with a brown and gold kind of color scheme, and uh, it works for them. Yeah, and I even think about the throwback Broncos uniforms, the early days pre Orange Crush and Blue, where they were sort of the San Diego Padres yeah. with their brown and yellow. It's weird. You don't really think of, like you said, not many teams have brown in their predominant color scheme. Yeah. But you're right. I think we mentioned off air, I think you called it, um, you know, uniforms, you know, they come in cycles, right? The Phillies, their alternates, the 70s style with, with that stylized P, kind of the Mike Schmidt era. They're back, you know, they finally brought them back after. You know, they switched over to that kind of Richie Asper 1950s style, which they've worn for a long time. And then their alternates with the blue hat and the cream that was like from, you know, 1940s. That was the uniform previous to that. And now, uh, you know, I guess there's a nostalgia for those 70s and early 80s teams. You know, the one that won the World Series back in 1980. And yeah, Mike Schmidt, Tug McGraw. Uh, those guys, Sarge, Gary Matthews. Um, so it's interesting just to see it all come back. I mean, the Orioles are another prime example. You know, we they went uh, a long time without the cartoon bird, and then they brought it back. You know, if I guess first Baltimore, getting that back on the jersey, and then just going full cartoon bird for the last uh, – it came back in 2012, and, you know, I, I, it's maybe it's a coincidence that they got good again after that, but I'm sure it didn't hurt them at all. Yeah, when you think about a lot of teams – who go through a rebranding, all of a sudden there's that bump into sustainability and and success. You just think about the Titans. Once they changed their uniform from the Oilers, once they did Mm -hmm. their rebranding, that propelled them to the Super Bowl. The Orioles were on a run. I'm trying to think of a few others who had success. I know it's not always a guarantee that when you switch your colors that in your uniforms and change your style, that all of a sudden it's going to propel you to success because then it looks like, same old team, a uh, new coat of paint, so to say. Yeah, I think it, there probably is a marketing thing to it. I mean, uh, I'm thinking like the Astros, late 80s, early 90s, uh, they finally kind of moved away from the Tequila Sunrise kind of rainbow thing, and they went to kind of modernized thing, and that kind of coincided with them getting good again. You know, Jeff Bagwell went on an MVP run, and, you know, Craig Biggio – Caminetti, you know, the Killer Bees and, uh, you know, Daryl Kyle and, and, and Mike Hampton, you know, same thing. I mean, most of the time, and that's most of the time what happens is that, it, um, you know, the team will change uniforms and they get good. It's it's really rare that they'll do it afterwards, uh, but I don't know what it is. It just There's just something that, uh, you know, you get a little mojo to it and uh, it works for some reason. Same thing with the Orioles, 89 Orioles. They went from... Yeah. From that 70s style uniform that they were running pretty much till 88 that mm-hmm. season. And then coincidentally, the change of the logo, the change of the uniform style, they end up having the why not season and having a bit yeah. of a run. And then again, it's interestingly enough, us being Orioles fans, we would notice some of those small changes that went on. Even from 94 to 95 when they went to the different color style and the lack of piping on the sleeves. 
um, yeah. where the normally where it's orange Orioles and orange on home. It went to a black with orange trim and things like that. Just little things that people may yeah. notice. And I'll admit, I've seen some color schemes that I feel like maybe fit the team, but just going back to a similar look would probably be better or similar, maybe script on their jerseys. I always think, for example, the Sacramento Kings. I know they're not going back to red, white, and blue anymore. I've pretty much been resigned to the fact they've been almost 25 years with that purple and silver and, and black. Sure all those colors, but I feel like if you have the old Kansas City, early Sacramento script, it's a perfect blend of both the old and the new. Yeah. You know, the NBA is different because normally, like most sports teams, you have a home jersey, you have an away jersey, you have maybe an alternate jersey. You know, the NBA is different because all the uniforms aren't even designated as home. It's, you know, it's association and classic and and uh, those kind of things, uh, which is a little sad, you know, um, just because you could flip on the game before and you can tell who's home in a way because you know the like in baseball usually the home team will be on whites and the road team will be gray or something like that but or you know uh we want to turn on a lakers game you know okay they're wearing yellow or if it's sunday they'll wear white so you know they're home and then purple's on the road but it's all mixed match now uh you know so uh, which is interesting and i guess it kind of refreshes things but I don't know, maybe just uh, as an old fogey, it, it, it was nice to be able to rely on that. I mean, taste change. You know, I think what Oregon was doing in football for a long time and all these uh, alternate jerseys in college football and everything like that, you know, they do it because, not to sound old, but they say that's what the kids like. They didn't grow up on, you know, Notre Dame, the gold helmet and the Navy jersey and the gold pants. So when Notre Dame goes green or, you know, Oregon does their weird um, color scheme, highlight or yellow, whatever, it's cool to them. Yeah, and I think especially it's starting to rub off on things like Maryland. And you look at an example like that. Uh, I like the Maryland flag, as I call it, the Crossland Cross of the Calvert uh, colors on the helmets that they normally play with, especially it's a welcome change from what we used to see in the eighties and during the boomer size and Frank Wright era where it was just yeah. Terps. Well, I don't, maybe it might've been Terps in the mid nineties up to the two thousands, but maybe they had yeah. an M on their, on their helmets as well. But I think it's, those things are sort of a welcome change. Yeah. I mean, again, it's sometimes it's nice just to mix it up a little bit, you know, I mean, as much as, you know, we kind of pined for the cartoon bird for a long time, but now we're to the point and, you know, I love those hats, but you know, I also have a nostalgia for, yeah, that original Oriole bird when they switched the first time. So '89, though. Yeah, you mentioned the Why Not Squad. You know, and that specific bird, uh, not the one that was a little bit more detailed afterwards, but it just comes in waves, I guess. But with Washington's uniforms and everything like that, the football team, um, you know, kind of being up in the air. Out of the new designs that were floating around, do you kind of favor one or the other? You know, Warriors, um, Red Tails, uh, Red Wolves, that kind of thing. Looking at some of the feedback from different uh, people who on Twitter gave their two cents, it's very interesting. I feel like Red Tails, while a very honorable name, that's a lofty, lofty reputation. You have to live up to those heroes in the war, especially as mediocre as this football team is right now. Last thing you want to do is sully that with something it's going to be tough to aspire to and try to to ascend to those levels. I think Red Wolves makes sense, even though there's still a little bit of a thought that there is still a tie to Native American uh, history and Native American practice, and I think that might be a concern as well. I mean, we all know Warriors isn't happening because 
uh, a lot of people have become their own graphic artists and, and throwing up their own mock-ups of what they think should be done. Like, for example, if they went with the Red Wolves, you just take the Vince Lombardi 70s yellow Redskins helmet and mm-hmm. just change the Indian feathers to a foxtail and yeah. just continue with that. But, I mean, I have no preference right now. I mean, just something that won't have to be addressed years down the road. And while this was probably a poor planning for a placeholder, mm-hmm. we'll just see what happens. That's going to be the biggest issue, that it was something done that was hastily put together, wasn't thought out well, and you still hear stories that they aren't ready to roll out a new name because they still haven't got the trademarks yet, which is something yeah. that they should have done years ago. Even if you never use them, that you hold on to them. That's a big issue, especially, I think, of there's probably companies that have old expired trademarks or picked up trademarks that they don't use anymore, that somebody else didn't use, but they still hold on to it just for the odds, and maybe they rolled out a different brand that is separate from it or things like that. I mean, I assume that Foot Locker still holds the Woolworths trademark, even though they don't use it anymore. Yeah, you know, now that it's done, I'm happy that they changed it. You know, it's been such a cloud over the team's head for a long time. And whatever the name is, I mean, I'm still going to be a fan of it. So that's not a big deal. Um, The placeholders, they're fine. I've been looking at the photos. I mean, they took the team name off the jersey, and that's an easy fix. Um, I like the numbers on the helmets. I've always been a fan of that kind of thing. So um, I don't know. We'll see. I also know, too, that fools rush in and... If it's going to take a while to get the perfect name, then let them take it a while. I mean, it won't matter. And um, I mean, let's be real. It's not like they're going to be good this year. So this whole season, you know, you just got to have to chalk it up to uh, everyone taking their lumps. And then, uh, you know, uh, hopefully it's for the future, though. Yeah. And the way it seems like it might take more than just this upcoming season, it might be a a whole couple of years before they decide. And maybe it just makes sense. What you do is if you have the name just finish the rebrand January 1st. New year, new yeah. team name, and things like that. I yeah. think the issue is that Daniel Snyder didn't do it because he caved into public pressure. He did it because he saw yeah. his money flying out of the window. Yeah. Well, I guess at the end of the day, whatever it took, and at least that part's changed, and maybe he'll sell the team. I doubt it. but Nah, he's about, what, he's barely 50, and that's yeah. probably going to stay in the family probably for a very long time unless they decide it's too expensive to keep a la the Kent Cooks with the whole estate sale and things like that. But you never know. I would say this. Speaking of Washington team, I would talk about the Wizards. I know recently, actually it was back in during the uh, the pandemic and the shutdown. In May, the Wizards did a bracket for their all-time Wizards Bullets uniform mm-hmm. franchise history. One of the things I noticed, there were several jerseys that were not in there that were favorites. But the other problem is that it was heavily rigged towards the modern Wizards jerseys, which, again, not bad. But seeing that you have five or six different versions, you have the district one, you have another Wizards alternate and things like that. I feel like it was heavily rigged, I guess, similar to how they talk about the renaming of the franchise, how that was heavily, heavily rigged as well. Well, let me, you know, it's a coincidence. Uh, I think I still have the tab open. Let me share this. This is the, if they have to go back to the bullets, they should go back to this one. That's the one they should do, which is a throwback in itself. 
Yeah, and I think that is a very good throwback, especially I think of the Jordan years. It's interesting enough that I remember seeing Chris Weber and Jawan Howard play with those uniforms. I was surprised yeah. that in the bracket that they uh, put on Twitter, those late 80s, mid-90s uniforms were not I in like the those. bracket. Those were clean. They had yes. a perfect look. I feel like, especially once they went to block numbers instead of that funky uh, – design they had with the Mugsy yeah. Bogues days, I felt like it was probably the perfect Bullets jersey, especially after years of really inconsistency. Because you think about it, even after they moved from Baltimore, where they were still wearing orange jerseys, they went through a number of jerseys before they went to that red, white, and blue pattern that they used basically in the West Sunset Glory days. No, I would kill for any kind of like late 80s, early 90s uh, Bullets jerseys like that. Give me any of them. Um, Michael Adams, Muggsy, Tom Gugliotta, Calvert Chaney, George Mirson, Legler, just any of them, really. Not even the big guys. I'm not even mentioning like Weber and, and Jawan Howard and, uh, you know, those guys. Rashid Wallace for that one year. Yeah, actually, on Mitchell and Ness, they actually have. They have a Bullets one, right? I mean, they have the Chris Webber, number two. Yeah, the uh, before he got the number from Scott Skiles. Yeah. Like, right when he got traded for Gugliotta. So, that that one year. And then, there was this one place in Baltimore, and like, in the Inner Harbor, in Harbor Place, where they had a store. I can't think of what it was, but I saw a number four Bullets jersey, Chris Webber, and it's Mm -hmm. like, it was crazy. I could not believe it. They actually had one, because everything else I see is number two. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's insane. And I think, wow, that is sort of like the Holy Grail. Yeah, I mean, again, it's the nostalgia. You know, I just um, – I see those jerseys and it takes me back to, you know, that time, early 90s, you know, HTS and watching the Bullets play on HTS on, like, President's Day. That was just the thing you did and, and you watched and those teams that were – Terrible. Well, I mean, they were scrappy, I guess, but, you know, Strickland and, and Purvis Ellison and all those guys, uh, yeah, they still have a special place in my heart. Yeah, and I started picking up on the team in 93, so it was Gugliotta, Murasan, tail end of Michael Adams' tenure there, Rex Chapman, and then they got Jawan, and then they got Weber, then they got Rashid, like you said, for the one year, and then they got Strickland. Harvey Grant came back, and like I said, that one last run, I think that was the toughest thing seeing them change to the wizard's design, especially that I guess looking back at it is not too bad, but a Poland just went on a whole teal, or I guess it was teal, maybe more turquoise and, and gold or turquoise and copper type look for not only them, but the caps too. I guess you synonymously rebrand things and Ted Leonsis, he recorrected all those things and went back to the red, white, and blue for both teams. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there are a, a lot of people that are more knowledgeable than me on this. If you're on the UniWatch website with uh, Paul Lucas, and there's a couple people on Twitter. I mean, they know better than me about it, but the two biggest colors, I think, in the late 80s, early 90s, trendy, were uh, was teal and purple. You saw that a lot. The Rockies, Marlins. Um, the Diamondbacks were the best of both worlds. They have teal and purple coming in there. Um, San Jose was hot. Uh, you, know, the, you know, those kind of things. And uh, Charlotte with the Hornets and um, the Wizards just kind of rode that thing. I mean, that was the trend at the time. What I appreciate now, what I didn't appreciate when I was a kid is these really kind of bold graphics that they had that they really went for the mountain look for the jazz, the Raptor for the Raptor, the big old grizzly in the middle of the Jersey for Vancouver before they switched. And 
You know, the other one, too, if I can find some just splurge money, um, I want to get a uh, – uh, Mitchum Ness has it because the ones I see on eBay, I don't know if they're real. Um, is the Do you remember the Bucks jersey with a big old uh, buck on the front? Uh, yeah, the Vin Baker, yeah. uh, Glenn Robinson era. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I won. Ray Allen, like his second year. I won one of those. It seems like Milwaukee really did a <clears> – <throat> Big do-over in their jersey. Just looking at the Brewers going in the 94 with a distinct look. And then the Bucks going away from Bango to this mm-hmm. more fiercer deer. Um, yeah. And it was interesting with that. And then, again, the Bucks continuously changed their uniforms over and over. And then it looked like the Brewers did a recorrection as well. They started going back to the blue and going back to the gold and things like that. And initially, you always hear the story about Bud Selig that – because the approval and the legal action about the Seattle Pilots moving to Milwaukee took so long, they basically just had to rip off the Seattle and Pilots stuff and basically yeah. put Milwaukee in and just put Brewers on all those jerseys because they were going to go with the color scheme that was red and black and things like that. And they just weren't able to because they ran out of time because by the time they got the approval, it was opening day of 1970 and there was nothing else they could do. And they just sort of had to stick with those. Yeah, the Brewers' uh, uniforms are very unique. Obviously, the M and B to make the uh, mitt thing is the famous logo. And then you're right; they just said, "Let's mix it up." In '94, they did that interlocking M and B. And then for that one year, they had that old timey just straight M. And then they went to the M for like Miller uh, for a long time until they kind of dumped that last year. Just going back to the Bucks, you know, when I'm again because I'm watching more basketball again, it really strikes me how it just goes in cycles, right? You know, they had that to the 90s. It was like purple and green. And then they uh, like the Michael Red era, like late mid to late 2000s. It was red and green, which is kind of a throwback color scheme to, uh, you know, the Lou Alcindor, Oscar Robinson era. And now when you look at when you watch like Giannis and uh, like Chris Milton, they have that kind of like Sidney Moncrief, you know, kind of square pattern. Yeah, the Don Nelson, (laughs) Alvin Robertson ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And talking about the M in Milwaukee, that was the M that the Braves used on their helmets when they were in Milwaukee. Yeah. Just a different color and things like that. I noticed the biggest thing after getting MLB the show and just going through the different uniform designs that they have for all the teams, even though it's part of their history. You you play as the Twins and you play as the Rangers. I I was doing like a practice session between those teams. I gave them both the Senators uniforms, (laughs) variations of Senators uniforms, you know, different style, of course. When you think about the the second go round the Senators, that's where it feels like the Nationals really took a lot of their curly W colors. Yeah, yeah, curly W, and of course with the Twins, I mean basically their logo. If you look at it, if you ever decide to get that game, if you play <laughs> as the Twins, look at their fifty nine uniforms, which is Washington, and then put it on their sixty one uniforms. It's yeah. the same color scheme, same pinstripes, same colors <laughs> for the script, just Senators and Twins. That's the only difference. Yeah. Those uniforms before design houses and focus groups, I mean, they just kind of kept it simple, really. And you look at the uniforms online, MLB has a database. It's called uh, Dress to the Nines, which actually is the digitized version of this book. And then they have it updated to modern times. Yeah, I mean, pretty much everyone kept it the same, you know. It's like home, maybe black letters. He either did block letters across the chest Script letters across the chest. Then you had your city on the away jersey. It was all gray, and 
that was pretty much it. You know, you had a variation on your hat, you know, basically the first letter of the city that you're in. And that's what you rolled with. Yeah, unless you're playing in a two-team city where, I mean, yeah. even then again, you look at the Giants uh, before they moved to San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, that's another thing. Uh, and I think about a lot of the interviews I did, and I think about my interview with John Howard, who we both know from our time back at uh, yeah. the Daily Times. And we were just talking about how the Mets basically took from both the Dodgers and the Giants and basically yeah. put their own spin on the same logo. That was their that was the heritage. They took the NY style from the Giants and they took Dodger blue and they just kind of mashed it together. But, you know, I mean, this is a beautiful uniform. This Hank Aaron, like the old, like rookie Hank Aaron. This is an old Mitchell Ness catalog I have from like 2000 that I still have. But I think you can't go wrong with the classics. And when in doubt, I know... Just keep it simple, really. Even if it's for a year or two, I mean, you don't have to be all razzle-dazzle. And I think it's good, especially if you are razzle-dazzle for a lot of times, then just to throw it back and, you know, go simple with your uniforms. So, I don't know, you think about the Braves really went for it with, speaking of Hank Aaron, you know, with these. And then by the 80s, they'd switch back to basically the early, like, Tom Glavin and Steve Avery and all those guys, so... Yeah, and I always think one of the most drastic changes, look at the Islanders. The Islanders and that failed Gordon's Fisherman experiment <laughs> with the jerseys that a lot of people didn't like back at the time, but of course now it's, oh yeah. it's cool now. The Burger King Kings jersey, right? The purple, I mean, people are into that. At the Canucks went back and they threw back to the Flying V jerseys that they had. You go nuts. I mean, same thing. Um, the Penguins are my favorite hockey team. And when they finally went back to the skating Penguin, they finally went back to their uniform design when they won the cup in the early 90s uh, with, uh, you know, Lemieux finally and Yagamir Yager. And that was a happy day for me. I like that weird kind of Super Mario Power Penguin thing they had in the 90s. I just that was just never my jam. So I was happy to see the skating Penguin back. It's funny when I think about that. I think of Mega Man. I think of that penguin looks like that's what it is, Mega Man, and it looks like a Mega Man villain. And it's still crazy. That is a city, Pittsburgh. All their uniforms are synonymously uh, Mm -hmm. one color: the the gold and the black. Like that Wiz Khalifa song, black and yellow, black and yellow. I mean, (laughs) people won't even remember that the penguins wore blue at one point. Yeah, the powder and, uh, you know, Pittsburgh was like red and blue for a while. And, uh, you know, as far as I can remember, even some of the other throwback uniforms like the Bumblebee, they've always been black and yellow. So, you know what? Uniform, I think the city also fits it, except for maybe the Eagles and the Flyers. But looking at the athletics at one point also had the same color scheme as the Phillies and eventually as uh the Sixers, even though it looks like the Syracuse Nationals color scheme was basically the same as the Sixers. I mean, that's another thing you think about it. A lot of teams move. They don't change the color scheme. They just change the logo and design. They just keep the color yeah. scheme and go with it. Yeah. And, you know, who knows? Sometimes it's just easier. <laughs> and I suppose if you have a winning brand, if your team wins, then you're slow to do that. Eventually it changes, right? I mean, you know, when the Sonics moved, eventually you're going to have a rebrand. Titans, when we, we talked about, when the Oilers moved over to uh, Tennessee, I mean, you're, you're eventually going to get uh, a change. And some of it's for the good and some of it's for bad. And part of the nostalgia in one is fueled by success, right? I mean, um, 
if those Titans teams that McNair had kind of really stunk and they didn't go to the Super Bowl, you probably don't look as fondly back on those uniforms. So I don't know. Yeah, and I also think that going back to some of the Philadelphia teams, I think about the athletics and even to the early part of their Kansas City run, their road jerseys are basically what the Royals use now. But basically, they had athletics basically in red with blue trim, and that was really a nice look. And I think yeah. all of a sudden, them deciding, you know, on Charlie Finley's whim to go to green and gold, while that is more iconic when you think of that team, I always saw, hey, it'd be nice just to see what it'd be like sort of throwing back to that old color scheme. But, you know, there are plenty of teams, and as we keep going on, I think about the Jazz, and I think about that as well, that they kept going back and forth on colors. They went to the mountain, then they yeah. uh, went away from it, then they went back to the original New Orleans purple and gold for a little bit, and then they went to that weird fiery mountain volcano type of color scheme, and then they went back to the Malone-Stockton NBA Finals era. <laughs> yeah. It's funny what winning really changes your outlook, because otherwise, if those Utah teams stunk... Well, when you look at um, those mid to late 90s jerseys, no, they'd just be like, they'd be ugly. Of course, I say that, but then I was just pining for those uh, Memphis Grizzlies jerseys, and they weren't very good when they wore those, uh, at least in Vancouver anyway. So, I don't know. I guess it all, everything is just a case-by-case basis. It's going back to the Sonics for a bit. The 77 to basically 94 look. Before they decided yeah. to do the rebrand for the first time, that's the yeah the the ones where they made the finals run with uh, GP and uh, Kemp. But I like the ones they had before. You yeah, know, I mean those those Johnson. that was a great book. Yeah, the Dennis Johnson, all those ones because Dennis Johnson, Lenny Wilkins yeah. ones. That's that's all I can think of yeah. when I think of those guys. I guess what Walt Hazard maybe, but yeah, I I prefer that design over that '95 one and then the rebrand with Ray Allen and everybody. I prefer that one. That, to me, is a preeminent Seattle Supersonics uniform. Yeah. And, of course, speaking of Seattle, before we get to the Kraken, and just looking at the Mariners uniform, they ended up going back to the same design scheme they went with the Pilots, except maybe it was, uh, instead of it being a sky blue, it's a little more of a navy blue and, and gold yeah. instead of yellow. But, basically, what they're sort of doing now with their uniforms, they're going back to the a variation of, like, the late 80s, early 90s Mariners. Yeah. Like Alvin Davis, uh, Harold Reynolds. Um, it's just a mix. I mean, you want to mix it up. The cynical thing would be like, you got to throw in a little extra because the look that we kind of know, the Ken Griffey Jr., you know, the teal and navy, I mean, they've had that for about 25, 30 years. So it's just like if you're a Mariners fan, you have the hat already. You have the jersey. So, okay, now we'll introduce the same hat, but we'll use the 80s color style. And then, okay, you have to buy another. Like, you know, as a collector, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I have to buy another hat then. So so that's part of it. Yeah, and there was somebody else who did a rebranding, I feel like, recently. I know I always go to Chris Creamer's uh, website as well because that's probably the great. Yeah, places. it's a great uh, resource, yeah. Yeah, I, I, other than UniWatch and Chris Creamer, I can't really think of a lot of other sites that are big into that. Maybe some fan-devoted sites, depending on particular teams. But the Rams did a rebrand, which is sort of like, eh, it's all right. The Rams and the Chargers, and the Chargers kind of a little bit of a throwback to Lance Altworth, and also, but also like the 80s. Well, they had been doing kind of the 80s uh, blue and, and mustard, you know, Dan Founts and Callan Winslow. But the football jersey doesn't give me as much nostalgia 
baseball is number one. And now, again, that I'm seeing some of these NBA jerseys and logos being recycled, I think that's the second thing that's really kind of nostalgic for me. I just get a kick out of, like, seeing those things, and I'll go on eBay and, like, let me see, okay, like, you know, the champion jerseys from in the day. You're like, okay, let me see. And, of course, they're all expensive now because there's – hipsters who you know want to work to Coachella and stuff they don't know Cedric Sabalas from uh, you know Nick Van Exel or whoever they just want a uh, champion jersey because it's uh, cool but the champion brand kind of brings me back and uh, I saw my Michael Jordan jersey that I bought from Champ Sports back in the day I think right before the 92-93 finals or something like that I mean I still have that one now I'm on the hunt for just like you know I mean again it's just the nostalgia part is just too strong for me, and it's strong for a lot of people, I think. You know, when I heard that Tampa Bay was rebranding, the Buccaneers were rebranding, I thought mm. it would make sense to take from the Derrick Brooks era, used to flag with the skull and crossbones, but Cuter, go back yep. to the uh, creamsicle ones, just sort of do a variation of that, white helmet, creamsicle flag, the flag yeah. and the creamsicle, if you're not going to do uh, Buccaneer Bruce, but... I felt that would have been a better look, especially, and then have that orange. I think they would have been able to pull it off. And, of course, Tom Brady would have probably been able to pull it off, I, I feel like. 20 years from now, Mitchell and Ness will have a – will probably come out with a uh, Tampa Bay uh, Brady jersey just like 15 years ago. You know, they had like a Joe Namath Rams jersey and just like weird, obscure – players who only played one year one or two years with the same team so you know that's a that's the thing speaking of players in different jerseys what is the most jarring scene that you can think of of a player that's been long known for one team playing for somebody else i know some people used to say it's like seeing willie mays in a mets jersey and things like that and i guess then the modern one would be seeing jordan in a wizard's jersey and things like that. yeah I found it funny that in the last dance, they just end it. And it's like, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know that he came back and played for the Wizards. It's just like he retired then and like just no one ever speaks of the other part. Wow, that's a good question. I'm, I'm trying to think of my Rolodex a little bit. Um, hmm. Tom Brady would be one. And the NBA, it's tough, man, because everyone moves. So much every two or three years. It's crazy. It really isn't a lot of uh, guys like Dirk who just stay with the one team. Jeez, who else? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to like. What about Shaq in a Cavs uniform? Shaq in a Cavs uniform was kind of weird. Shaq, well, Shaq in basically every place after Miami where he was just really ring hunting. So Phoenix and the Celtics, that was one. Um, Just in the history, uh, you know, Dominique in a Clippers uniform, that was weird. And uh, Orlando, Patrick Ewing in Orlando or uh, Seattle. That was a weird one. I'm trying to think who else. Baseball, it's in my brain it's there. I just can't verbalize any. But I, I don't know, like for you, baseball, what's one or two? I would say Robbie Alomar in a Mets uniform. That's sort of weird. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Honestly. What about Ken Griffey Jr. for those like, how long did he play for the White Sox? I mean, that was a... That was pretty obscure. Yeah, they were just collecting all the old veterans, and it's like Jim Tomey in a Dodgers uniform. and I mean, yeah. Jim Tomey in an Orioles uniform was sort of... Yeah, that's what I was just thinking about. I mean, not for us, but for uh, if you're a Cleveland fan or somebody like that, um, you know, that's a that's kind of a, a jarring one. I don't know. Mike Piazza in that Marlins. two games, I guess, for the Marlins. Oh, man. 
Yeah. I'm trying to think. Well, um, right. Um, who does Mass and Bumgar play for now? I mean, that's a little jarring, right? Diamondbacks. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a little weird. I say Andres Galarraga in a Braves uniform was sort of weird. I mean, years in Montreal, and I know everybody will gloss over like the couple of years in St. Louis, but. When I think of yeah. Andres Galarraga, I think of Montreal and I think of Colorado, which is crazy that you can say, I think of yeah. two teams for, for one guy because he, he never really stuck around longer than maybe five years in a city. How about Ichiro in a Marlins uniform? That was weird. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. Uh, that is just so strange. I mean, I couldn't think of... Again, it feels like with the Mariners, there's always a reunion with, with some of those guys. It would have been crazy to see Randy Johnson get one more shot. But he yeah. went to War 51 anyway because Ichiro was wearing it. So, I mean, which is I always hear the story about Ichiro calling Randy Johnson just to see if he could use the number 51. And, <laughs> and that's crazy that... Is Randy Johnson a Diamondback in the Hall of Fame? or? Um, Let me look that up. I'm not sure. It's uh, the Hall of Fame's decision right now. So I don't know who, what... I mean, he did win a World Series from there. I mean, of course, he was super dominant for the Mariners for a long time. So let me see. Who else? Uh, I keep thinking about the people that what ifs, you know, what if Cal had left to go to the Dodgers in, I think, what, 92, right? I think they were really courting him. Yeah, I had heard, though, at one point they were talking about trading him to the Blue Jays for Tony Fernandez. Yeah. Oof, that would have been weird. Um what if Barry Bonds ended up going to Atlanta? I know they were coveting him during that offseason. I know it was them, the Yankees, uh, Barry Bonds in Atlanta. Jeez. I'm laughing because uh, I'm thinking we did see that. It was the 1996 movie The Fan with Wesley Snipes as a guy who was for the Giants and then went to the Braves. That was Barry Bonds. Yeah, I mean, I think Willie Mays Hayes and anything else. but <laughs> I'm just trying to think. There are probably plenty of people – some people say no tom seaver in a white Sox uniform yeah i mean it must have been jarring um for mets fans the first time when they saw him uh, when he got traded to cincinnati that would have must have been weird uh but let me see man just not uh coming up or for me just in recent times right i mean you know adam jones spent um he just how many years was he in arizona one or two years uh, he, was uh, in, he was just there for a year and then he uh, yeah. went off to japan that was different that was different Manny, I mean, that was a little they, – they, that's still too raw. I mean, there's a good obscure one, you know, Manny for that half season with the Dodgers before he left. Yeah. I always think – I mean, he's not in pinstripes, so I can live with that. You know, out of sight, out of mind. He can't do any damage to you. And, and the worst thing that could have happened is just seeing him wearing pinstripes repeatedly for 10 years, in all honesty, it would probably be in three years. I wouldn't be surprised if once the Orioles end up – becoming competitive again that they be make a big yeah. splash and get manny back and then hey it's like hey how you doing again we can dream we can dream weirder things have happened i always assume that's what's going to happen you know he can opt out after year three by year three hopefully the orioles are on the right track and then hey he just comes back play third base that's one problem solved you know with all the other uh things there are plenty of other jarring things i mean well grant hill in an Orlando Magic uniform. Yeah, you know, that one hit me. Or um, my two favorite guys from the 90s, MLB, and it hurts because their injuries derailed it or they just didn't reach their full potential. Yeah, Grand Hill and Penny. And uh, Grand Hill in a Magic uniform and Penny in a, in a Suns uniform for a little bit. Uh, that was tough. I mean, it still hurts Chris Webber in a Kings uniform. but And he was good with the Kings. I mean, uh, you know, so. Yeah. 
There was someone I was about to say. It would have been like, I mean, other than Frank Thomas and anything other than a White Sox uniform, that was. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. It's just, you know, at the end, you, you associate guys with one team, and then when it really gets down to the end of the career, and they're just kind of hanging on, it's just they, they really do become journeymen, right? It's just, you know, the Piazza, I think, you know, okay, he have basically two careers. You think, okay, the Dodgers and the Mets, but then, you know, he, he hung around. He's with the Padres for a little bit and Oakland, right, I think, uh, you know, so – it's different seeing Tim Limpsicum in an Angels uniform for uh, a little bit. That was a little jarring. Um, so, no, nah, man, it's, it's tough. Yeah, and I also think about the guys that where you know they say you can't go home again, but they do. Like Maddox back to the Cubs, Glavin and Smoltz back to the Braves. After yeah. that, uh, Palmero going back to the Rangers and going back to the Orioles and things like that. You know, and I always look at that, and I know this is a subject that's going to be discussed. Palmero should be in the Orioles Hall of Fame. There is no doubt about it. If Brian Roberts is in and he admitted to using steroids, yeah. there should be no reason that Palmero is not in the Orioles Hall of Fame. Yeah, you know, Ben McDonald, I think, just tweeted. Was it Ben McDonald or Greg Olson just tweeted about Palmero today and just saying how great a hitter he was, you know, so I don't know, you know, I, that's a glaring error. I follow Palmero on Twitter. And now I, I sometimes think I probably regret doing that, but still, I, I think that it is a glaring error, especially when you have all the guys who were sort of the mercenaries, like Alomar, who was barely there for three years. Again, Robert, yeah. too, who admitted to using steroids and, and things like mm-hmm. that. Palmero's got to be in there. It's bad enough that now they're just going to basically start getting all the guys from the 2012 to 2016 runs in there, and Palmero's a glaring error, and, and and it's huge. Whether he'll come back or not to accept the honor, that's a completely different story. I mean, are there any other guys from like kind of the last 20 years for the Orioles that besides Palmero that you think that should be in but aren't in right now? I mean, I think most they got most of them right. Yeah, and like it, let's use this three years is the minimum, which is because Alomar is basically the standard bearer for that. Right now, pre the 2012 team, I can't think of anybody else. Eric Davis didn't. Play. Well, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of bright spots from that team. Tejada maybe, and that's iffy too. That's extreme. Yeah, iffy. there's another guy. <laughs> uh, I'm really trying to think because. Those rough years. I mean, what Jake? I mean, Morrison, right? Morrison, Morrison, Melvin Morrison. Yeah, everybody else basically from that that time span is in because, yeah, because everybody else from the bad years either have steroids to their name, so Jay Gibbons, Palmero, but Brian Roberts is in, and then, yeah. and then the next wave is going to be the 2012 team. A 2012. 2012 yeah. So that's yeah. Marcus you know, Jones, Tillman, Britton, Jim Johnson, uh, trying to you know. Jamie Walker, yeah, uh, those I mean, guys. Well, Buddy Groom would probably be the next best one because he was actually JJ Hardy. Yeah, yeah, Hardy. I mean, and then you start getting to all, like I said, the, you talked about the crappy years. The, really, the glaring omission is is Jay Gibbons, uh, maybe Ramon Hernandez. Those might be very, very tough because everybody else was awful. Jorge Julio, those, you start digging the bottom of the barrel. I mean, Benitez technically could be... Uh, Kevin uh, Gregg, question mark? No. no Ty, I mean, Ty, Ty, uh, Ty, Ty Poppington? The, the, Ty the, the, Admiral, the Admiral, I don't know. I, I don't think Admiral Poppington fits, even though he has been there for three years. I mean, Luke Scott technically would probably be a fit for it, but I mean, because he was a tiger killer. Man, he killed the Tigers more. Oh, I forgot, Scott Erickson. Scott Erickson is not in, to my knowledge. 
He should be in. He should be in. Uh, because, yeah, everybody else, Jimmy Key was heard. David Wells was there for a year. Um, uh, yeah, everybody else. I mean, uh, I mean, oh, oh, Arthur Rhodes. I assume Arthur Rhodes is not in yet. Arthur Rhodes might. I'm looking it up right now. Let me see. Unless Arthur Rhodes got in a couple years ago. They've been they've they've had some years where they haven't had any inductees because they end up doing Jeffrey that. Hammonds? <laughs> I don't know. You know, oh boy, Hammonds. Oh man. You know. He showed that his potential I liked him. once he got it. Yeah, he's um, he's Adam Jones. He was Adam Jones before Adam Jones, except imagine Adam Jones hurt all the time. That's basically Jeffrey Hammonds. That's the only thing I can put uh the best comparison, and I know that's that's unfair to Jeffrey Hammonds, but Hammonds was a monster. Once he left Baltimore and went to, what, I think Cincinnati that first go round. Yeah, he was a monster. Brian Roberts was the last player inducted 2018 uh, of this kind of like since from 1990 on. Melvin Mora, Gary Renneke, Lowenstein, Robbie Olimar, Musina, Bordick, Richie Dower. Johnny Oates, Ray Miller, let's see who else, Harold Baines, Greg Olson, BJ Serhoff, O'Donnell, Bill O'Donnell, Chris Hoyles is 06, the Sensei, Brady, Cal, Boyd. Yeah, so Erickson's not in there. Yeah, and, and neither is Arthur Rhodes. Arthur Rhodes was a solid pen piece. He was. For those 1914 and a pretty solid starter. I mean, at least basically up for what, 92 to 94, and then he became the the bullpen guy. I mean, I think Moyer was there three years, so that could also be a reach. But a a lot of those guys you named, other than like the mid 90s guys, a lot of those from the 70s and 80s that that got in. Other than like, you know. Well, where's, uh, where's my boy, Ben McDonald? Not there. I'm surprised he's not in. Maybe, I mean. Especially he's announcing for them now. Yeah, and he was pretty solid. I mean, uh, again, yeah. you know, you start reaching the why not. Thing. Is Devereaux in there? I'm surprised Devereaux's not in there. Nope, nope. Uh, there were a couple of years they didn't have any Hall of Fame inductions, but Devereaux would have been a fit. Ben McDonald would have been a fit. Like I said, Sir Hoff's already in. Hey, I'd give uh, Jeff Rebelay. Uh, Jeff Rebelay had nope. some key hits, and he fulfilled the three- or four-year uh, criteria as an Oriole. I mean, think about his no. home run off Randy Johnson in the uh, ALDS in 96. Not on there. I mean, there are a lot of guys I have a soft spot for, too. Cheeto Martinez. Cheeto Martinez. <laughs> uh, kind of the same ilk, though. I mean, um, you know, where's, uh, uh, where's like, Joe Orsalak, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm he was all right. Orsalak. I'm surprised Orsalak isn't in there. I mean. I'm surprised Devereaux is not in there. Yeah, I mean. I guess, you know, he he only played with them. I mean, it wasn't that long. He was there in the upswing, and then, um, you know, he was with the Braves when he was uh, – NLDS MVP. That was already in ninety five. Then he came back in ninety six. So technically yeah. he was there 89, 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, 96. Actually he yeah. might have been there in ninety seven, I think, but still, that's seven years, six, seven years as an Oriole, and part of that eighty nine team had a huge season, what, ninety two, ninety three in Camden yeah. Cars with the twenty four homers and hundred RBIs, one oh seven, I think. But yeah, I think really that's huge. And just going through that, there's a lot of former Orioles. Eric, like I said, Erickson, Devereaux, Palmero, and then a lot of the people from 2012 on will be in there. Like I said, you already know Manny Jones, Marcakis, Tillman. Oh, George Cheryl. Flat Breezy is not in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then again, I don't think he was there three years. That could be another reason because hey, Flat Breezy was the guy who got the call when you had no other choice because 
That team was awful. That and Buddy Groom. From those 05 teams, yeah, Buddy Groom, Palmero, and Flat Breezy, even though, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the rest of the list here, just of like Oriole All-Stars and over the years. And uh, yeah, I mean, most of the guys, yeah, from the last good era, the kind of um, 2012 to 2016, 2017, yeah, I mean, they'll be there eventually. Uh, I mean, the early guys, yeah, Jim Johnson, you know, Weeders is going to make it in. Let's see here. Yeah, Cheryl, let me see who else is. a uh, The All-Stars during the lean years, I'm looking. Cal, Tony Batista. He was there Melvin for three Mor- or four years, so, I mean. Yeah. Melvin Mora, who deservedly is in there. Tejada, 05 was uh, B, uh, Brian Roberts, Tejada, Melvin Mora, and B.J. Ryan. And uh, that was pretty much it. I'm going to see if there's any other weird. Lee Smith wasn't there long enough back yeah, in the day. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Technically, he was there three years, and I think they both would be a good fit. Malaki and Harnish, Pete Harnish. I was going to mention Malaki. He was strong. He was strong. Yeah, but- he was a better pitcher than Jeff Ballard was, and Harnish was there. Was he gone by 92? Mm, I'm not sure. I mean, you start reaching. If you start reaching, then you start, you know, bottling the barrel guys who were not good in Baltimore but ended up being big everywhere else. Well, let me ask you this, and we'll circle back to the uniform topic. What if you could have, like, the top five Oriole jerseys of your players that you'd want? Like, do you have any specifically? I'll start, give you some time to think about that. Um, I had the Mitchell and Ness one, but it was just too big. I wouldn't mind having any of the big guys, Palmer, Either of the Robinson guys. The 69 sleeveless uniform they had, the vest. I would rock that, definitely. Any, like, 80s Orioles jersey. You know, I sold my Eddie Murray one from 84, but that kind with a collar, with a kind of the orange collar. That would be another one. I need a Ben McDonald jersey. I don't have a, a Manny jersey. Maybe I would get the 2012 one. I'm trying to think like which ones they had sleeve patches for because that that you know I like those kind of things. Huh? What else? You know, and then like Eric Davis, get an Eric Davis jersey, Scott Erickson, those guys. But what about you? Do you have any any favorites? I know a, a particular design, of course, the '89 to '94 road jerseys, the gray with Orioles and orange. That's mm-hmm. my favorite design. They threw those back, I think, what, on the 60th anniversary, I think, of the Orioles. I remember they played the Cubs because they wore the 94 MLB anniversary patch. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 2014 they did that. So, Yeah, because I remember going to a fan fest and they had a uh, Ryan Webb jersey, and, and I have that picture, and I'd say that jersey is still perfection. Particular players, I mean, it'd be nice to get a Palmero jersey to go with the Palmero bat that I have. That'd be nice. I have a Ripken jersey. Uh it's not an authentic Cooperstown one, but it's still it has has an eight on the front, but doesn't have anything on the back. I guess having an Adam Jones one would be nice, and a Brady Anderson jersey would be nice. I keep looking on checking eBay. I really want one of the like heavy duty. Let me see if I have a picture of it. The Orioles '60s heavy wool varsity jacket that they wore. They sold that for a little bit on Mitchell and Ness, and there's like a twenty on the sleeve for Frank Robinson. I you know that's one I always. I'm on the hunt for. I like those baseball varsity jackets. If it does pop up eventually, it's like six sizes too big for me. So I, I never have a chance to get it. But that's the one I want. That looks like something they wore in the 90s, too. That's like the wool varsity version. And then um, the satin ones, you can get that on eBay for like 40 bucks, 50 bucks. It's not too bad. But 
that's like the uh, heavy duty varsity style one. So, yeah, going back to Orioles jersey, I'm glad they did go back to having an orange jersey for end games. So the Saturday night orange jersey, that's great. I know everybody still keeps talking about the Friday night O on the hat, which makes no sense. But I always thought, do what they did in the 90s, maybe uh, Orange Bill. Because I know once the little span in like 96 to 90, maybe 8, where they had the Orange Bill and they had that funky uh, Scott Erickson version of the alternate uh, black jersey with the Orioles in white. The one they said that basically had just got to the stadium in time when they beat the Royals in the walk-off game in like 90, I think 96. Yeah, I like those, and I like how they had the bird, and then they had the orange bill, and things like that. I feel like that might be something to go to, but I don't know about the tricolor. I think I'm okay without the tricolor hat hat again. Yeah, my favorite Orioles cap, probably of all time, is the road one. The one that they wore um, in their heyday is the home end as Z had in, um, you know, when they won those series in 66 and all that, the cartoon bird, you know, black and the orange brim. I got to say, I think the home Orioles hat looks the best when it's paired with the Saturday orange jersey. I just like that contrast better. When they wear the white home jersey and the white hat, it's just like too much white. I like the contrast and I like how it breaks it up. But um, if I had to only go with one and I have like seven versions of that hat, it's the road one for sure. The black and the orange brim with the cartoon that's probably my favorite one and then i like the stick bird i mean i like them all they only use that b logo for one year but i like that one that's pretty solid yeah and i thought they wore that a bit in 94 95 when they brought yeah. back they would wear the road baltimore uniforms at home on sundays sometimes at like 95 i think because yeah. i remember i think mark smith had like a walk-off wearing that uniform um, Mark Smith. Yeah, I know. I'll tell you all the names that pop into your head. That man had clutch jeans all over him, regardless where he was. I remember he had a walk-off in Pittsburgh for the Pirates that night, I think, of that combined Francisco Cordova no-hitter or something yeah. for them. But, yeah, they wore that for a little bit, like 94, 95. And then all of a sudden, when they went to the redesign in 96, or actually 95 might have been. It's weird when you look through all those Orioles jerseys. But wanted to get back to before we start to wrap up the Seattle Kraken yeah. and and they have released their uniform, pun intended there. What are your thoughts on that? I know especially it seems like everything in Seattle has been basically, aside from the Sonics, is always based on their water history. It looks okay. I don't have a problem with the logo. I think when I see guys on the ice wearing the uniform, I'll be able to get a better take on it. It looks fine, but I'm just seeing the logo right now. And, um, you know, it's funny. Somebody was saying that it's kind of funny that they picked the Kraken because, you know, the Kraken is a sea monster. And then, you know, it's just like, so is it naturally kind of the enemy of the Mariners? You know, like they shouldn't get along. Is it weird to have that? So we'll see. The logo looks fine. I know that the nitpickers out there say, you know, it kind of looks like a, maybe like Seagram's or something like that. Like the S is very similar. I don't know. There's some sort of alcohol company that um, it's very similar to. But when I see him on the ice and I see somebody actually wearing the jersey or um sweater as they say then um but uh i don't hate it and i think that whole thing got lost the day that news came out that was the day the redskins all of a sudden retired the name yeah so that got lost in that and i had posted well while one washington team doesn't have a name and can't think of a name 
this other Washington yeah. team actually came up with a pretty sound design and a look and a pretty good name. Totems would have probably, I know the history of the totems, that probably would not fly right now. I think some people were like, well, is a Kraken too... What is it, the word I'm looking for? Um, is the Kraken too now? Like, will the Kraken age well 20, 25 years from now? But, you know, you could say, okay, maybe. But then... Um, I'm sure people said the same thing about the Toronto Raptors. You know, I mean, it's a direct part of it was directly from Jurassic Park and stuff, and people just like it. And uh, obviously, it's stuck around, and no one's changed it. So we'll see. It yeah, worse. yeah. It could have been like Cthulhu or Chupacabra or something like that. It could have been something weird like that. And I think Kraken is yeah. probably a better bet. I mean, especially if you go with Cthulhu, the little bit that I know about Lovecraft, you probably don't want to tie that into to anything, yeah. especially knowing uh, Lovecraft's background, but um, I think Kraken is safe. It goes into mythology. Perfect for that city. I mean, now all they need is an NBA team. They do have a WNBA team. I know everybody keeps getting a lot of Storm fans were not happy about saying, oh, now all they need is a basketball team. Yeah, they have a team. Shout out to Sue Bird. Hashtag keep Sue fresh. And uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As we wrap this up, what is the best way for people to reach out to you? I know, of course, you're part of the, the Movies in a Meal podcast that you guys have been getting a lot of traction lately, it seems. Yeah, you know, well, we just crossed over the 100 episode mark. You know, we started in July 2018 and uh, a lot of our success in getting on the platform, um, you know, has to go to you. It's funny. It's just like we all kind of pass uh, our knowledge down and help each other out. You know, you helped me get started uh, the Movies and Meal podcast and, you know, we got that. And, you know, um, we recently guested on the uh, What You Should Read podcast uh, with uh, our friends uh, Kelly and, and Julia and Rachel. And, you know, Julia and Kelly were guest stars on uh, our show during uh, our, our retro reviews uh, same as you and that kind of inspired them so one uh, podcast begets another one I guess but we're on movies and a meal on Twitter and uh, you know trying to be a little bit more active on that and uh, you know basically anywhere that you can find probably uh, Earl's podcast you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify what else are we on uh, I Stitcher iHeartRadio yeah all those things so yeah you know it's funny the Spotify we've been on but it didn't dawn on me the reason why some of the episodes weren't showing is because the format just hadn't formatted them in the way they wanted to but that's straight and so if you go on Spotify you can see this and uh, yeah it's been a good run in fact um, I think probably I don't know who's going to be on our podcast again soon it might be you or Eddie your brother might be uh, making his debut soon we have to talk about that I think we have a movie in mind for Eddie it's just if Eddie, if you're listening, like we just got to make sure that you don't. If it's um, the movie that you want, and you're okay with uh, just acknowledging that it's a bad movie, and then we can be frank with it. Because um, if you want to do Sharknado, man, you got to realize it's not a, it's not an Oscar award winning movie. <laughs> so he would probably pick some other sci-fi network movie like Megalodon versus something. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly. Really, any shark movie, he's good with any shark movie, any ridiculous movie. Don't listen to him to watch Thanksgiving. I'm just putting that out there. No to Thanksgiving (laughs) as a review. I mean, you might get Mortal Kombat, which, again, isn't bad. And I know it's back on Netflix. I would would watch Mortal Kombat. I know, you know, Brad is notoriously, well, not notoriously, but, you know, Brad is sometimes the most fickle out of all of us. And I know that he would watch it. And uh, Keith, 
you know, he's a good sport. It's, not number, it's not number two, basically. It's not number yeah. two. That uh, I always remember looking at the IMDb review for number two. And it started off with the headline, A Cinematic Fatality. And going oh, through God. there, we just kept reading and reading. And we just kept continuously yeah. laughing for like 15 minutes to the yeah. point our stomachs were hurting. Just by the quotes in there, it is, it is so hilarious how... Bad it is. I don't know. Steph watched Artemis Fowl, and she was not happy with that. I've heard nothing but bad things about that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I think, you know, I've been talking about um, maybe Little Shop of Horrors. I'm telling you, man, if you haven't seen it, I don't know if you get HBO Max or whatever, but you should watch Harley Quinn because J.B. Smooth is a plant. I know you love J.B. Smooth, (laughs) and he's a talking plant in that, and he's hilarious in that. So you should check that or. At the very least, go to YouTube and look up Frank the Plant and Harley Quinn, and uh, you'll be entertained. I like Ron Funches like- as, as King Shark. Uh- He's fantastic. I, I, he, <laughs> King Shark, Ron, the interplay between him and Clayface, like, it's really funny that, you know, those two really have a different take than how they have been in the other universes, and they're hilarious together. Yeah, Ron Funches, like, King Shark, like, he might be my favorite. He's just hilarious in that uh, in that show. Yeah, I mean, definitely looking forward to eventually trying to, to get it. I know it was on Hulu and they had the episodes up and they just disappeared like that because the sci-fi was uh, re-airing them and they yeah. were just gone that quickly. But uh, I was hoping to eventually get it. Uh, you know, worst case, I might have to go nefarious means and going do jailbroken uh, yeah. fire sticks. I know a lot of people poo-poo that, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do. You know, I really can't recommend Harley Quinn enough. I mean, it's, as long as you don't hold a comic book characters in pure kind of nature i mean is super violent and super foul but the cast you know i kind of prefer kaylee kuko over margot robbie as far as harley quinn uh lake bell and the rest of the cast it's stacked man it's um alan tudyk is a, the joker and a bunch of other people you mentioned ron funchess um tony hale um is uh, dr psycho Diedrich Bader is Batman in uh, in this, yeah. Sanaa Lathan is Catwoman. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Um, the guy who plays Bane, I don't know him, but he's pretty hilarious in that. And Bane's take is pretty funny as well, but I just can't say enough good things about that. It's just it's a hilarious show. And, you know, I mean, every episode's only 23 minutes, so you're going to crush through the 13 episodes pretty quickly. Commissioner Gordon is Christopher Maloney, and Commissioner Gordon is, like, on the edge. <laughs> He's like, um, what was that Christopher Maloney TV show where um, he's a cop, but he also sees like a, a imaginary unicorn or whatever? It's oh, kind of like that. Yeah, I wanted to see that, but I didn't see it before it got canceled. But it's probably out there in uh, on Amazon Prime or so. Yeah, Gordon is pretty hilarious. But let me get the rest of the cast there. But yeah, you can piece together a lot of the clips from YouTube if you wanted to. Uh, but yeah, they just moved both seasons. They just finished the second season, and uh, that was on HBO Max. Let me see here. Who else? It's but on, uh, It's on DC too, right? Yeah. But, you know, honestly, if you have HBO Max, it's probably better because I don't know if you'd ever get your money's worth. Speaking for myself, getting your money's worth with the DC Comics uh, website app thing, there's not enough there for me. But JB Smooth, uh, Jason Alexander's in this. Uh, Tisha Campbell is in this. Uh, let's see here. Who else? Uh Giancarlo Esposito is Lex Luthor. Uh, you know, it's all the people you think. Phil Lamar, Alfred Molina is Mr. Freeze. Really? 
Jim Rash is the Riddler. Howie Mandel's himself, but don't get too attached to Howie. Oh, yeah, I'll just say that. Actually, I did see that first couple episodes. Yeah, he was barely there, but he was everywhere when you get the yeah. contact. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's very good. That's very good. Michael Ironside. I mean, I don't know. That's We got on a tangent, but just check it out if you can. Uh, and somebody is at least that they compile like kind of the best of Frank. So you can just watch that part if you really want. In fact, I'll message it to you when we're off here, uh, you know. But yeah, Ben, I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we got to do this again. I'm looking forward to yeah, that man. movie review, uh, Little Shop of Horrors. I appreciate it. And we'll do it again very soon. All right, man. It was great catching up with Ben, talking about our favorite jerseys, and getting a little more insight into his podcast, Movies and a Meal. Next time, my guest will be Greg Bosman Sr. Bosman will talk about his love for basketball, what it was like playing at the Division I level for not only one, but two programs, and much more. Don't forget that you can find our show on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and more. And you can also check out our YouTube channel, where we'll be hosting our live streams in addition to uploading all of our past episodes. You can also find us on Twitch, where we'll be streaming under the Sports Refuge as well. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.